Hey there, everybody. Welcome to this kickoff premiere episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast Season 7. This is episode number 172 with Chase Williams, CEO and co-founder of Pathify, uh, where I, I uh, currently work, just started a few months ago. Uh, so it's really great to have this uh, quality time and chat with Chase about uh, looking back on 2022, looking ahead to 2023. Uh, so uh yeah, just uh, he shares a lot of great insights about sort of the macroeconomic factors that are impacting both the, the uh, technology sector and higher education. So uh, really interesting stuff. He kind of brings his uh, unique perspective as uh, obviously a CEO of a growing ed tech company, as well as uh, somebody with a you know, finance background from uh, his college days and everything. So uh, really cool stuff. And so this is the start of season seven of Higher Ed Geek. Uh, really appreciate everybody's support as you've hit five years of podcasting, which is wild. Uh, and there will be a big announcement coming up in the next few weeks. So please stay tuned for that. Big things coming for the show in this uh, new year. Uh, and if you follow me on social media, you do also know that you can uh, hear and see me on two other podcasts currently. Uh, so Reza Chat, produced by Roompact. Uh, for anybody that works in campus life, residence life, uh, that's a good one to check out. Uh, as well as a brand new Pathify podcast that I started with them called Connected Campus. Uh, so that first episode just came out this week, this uh, uh, week if you're listening to it uh, in January uh, as this comes out. But uh, so a lot of great stuff coming out. Uh, very grateful for these opportunities to continue having uh, conversations about uh, the best ideas that are uh, impacting student success uh, right now uh, all across the country. So uh, please do check out those shows. But thank you for checking out this particular episode of the Hired Geek Podcast, episode number 172 with Chase Williams. So we are here uh, recording this right at the beginning of 2023. And uh, if anyone doesn't know, I was a history major in undergrad. So I always love kind of, you know, the context of current moments, looking back, looking forward, all that kind of good stuff. So uh, we're going to take a moment today uh, for this conversation to uh, do just that. Uh, mostly look back at the year that was 2022 and see how that kind of helps inform us looking at the year ahead. Uh, so uh, we will start out, though, as we always do uh, with my guest. Uh, if you would like to introduce yourself and give a brief overview of your professional background and how we get to be where we are today. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for having me on uh, your podcast. I've, I've followed this in the past and um, have listened to plenty of the pods uh, previously. So thank you. I, thank I you. appreciate you. Having me on, uh, my name is Chase Williams. I'm the CEO and one of the founders uh, of Pathify. I'll get into a little bit more of what we do, I think, or I assume later in the show, but um, my professional background, other than Pathify, I don't really have one, if I'm being honest. Um, so what I mean by that is I, along with James McCubbin, my uh, co-founder, started the company down in Melbourne, Australia, when I was still at university. So I really haven't had another professional job. However, I, I did a few um, internships and things like, like that back in the day, like big four consulting firms and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I would all, also say, you know, we started the company in Melbourne. Um, it was first an Australian company before we uh, made it a US domiciled company in 2017. Um, but over the last decade, both James and I have worn probably every hat in the business from whether we've been the sales guy to the customer success manager or the accountant, we, we pretty much wore every hat other than being an engineer. So I certainly haven't written a line of code um, at this point and I'm 
forever in debt and in awe at our developers' ability to produce things that are of high quality, um, particularly on the functional side and also in terms of integrations. But yeah, haven't haven't dabbled on on that side just yet. But love getting on the design side and the UX side with um, BP, our designer and and our product team, and digging in there. So. Outside of Pathify, not really a professional background, but certainly within the company, have had a breadth of experience and I've really enjoyed jumping in and getting involved in um, different areas of the business and learning. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, sort of disclaimer as well, uh, I joined the Pathify team a couple of months ago. It's been amazing. And I uh, stumbled upon uh, Pathify when I was at South by Southwest EDU uh, 2022 back in March. So it's almost a year ago as of the recording of this. And I um, just was really impressed. And it's just one of those things where like it uh, really clicked for uh, what Pathify is doing everything. But I will let you as one of the co-founders, if you want to give kind of the brief like elevator pitch of uh, what Pathify is, and then we'll kind of go into our conversation from there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the easiest way and uh, the marketing team will probably slap me on the wrist for this, but um, I think the easiest way to think about us is a modern student portal and mobile app for colleges. I start there and I'll expand on that because I think starting at portal in particular helps any listeners in it in ed tech or in the education space anchor it to something that they already know everyone kind of has a visual of the outdated student portals that they may have been using at um college um and it tends to bring some sort of visceral or emotional reaction to people whenever, whenever i'm bringing up the company with them externally just in conversation um but we really think about pathify much more as a modern integrated hub or front door that connects and at times we feel like this is a this is a big way to describe it but really does connect in an institution's entire digital experience uh in one place so you may sort of think to yourself well that's sort of what a portal does isn't it um and, and i think that's fair but what it really comes down to is how we go about connecting the information um in one place and what information we're connecting. So mm -hmm. uh, I could expand on that a little bit, but I want to give you a bit of space to ask any other question if you like. Well, yeah, I mean, and that's kind of like for me too, like I, I mean, I was just like walking the show floor and just sort of was like, well, I'll take a look at this. And like, just even like that basic premise, because like we're just, we could talk about it for a long time of like, you know, uh, all the sort of implications of the sort of solution that you all are providing. But um, like you said, it, it's, uh, it's something that, while not new as like long overdue for sort of just like, you know, kind of iterating on improving upon. And, and there's just like a lot of kind of, uh, yeah, to kind of like go on on the back end to really kind of manifest the full potential. Uh, so I was like really impressed when I got like a really brief demo and everything. So, um, and I think it, it really does like set up very well for like our, uh, topic at hand today, but a quick follow-up because I'm curious of just sort of how you kind of talk about it because like you said, you, you've kind of lived and breathed Pathify for a very long time and have kind of been working in this space uh, uh, since like your college days and everything. I'm assuming that maybe you were inspired by sort of like, you know, your own experience and you kind of wanted to like scratch your own itch. That was sort of the inspiration, I guess, just anything else, I guess, that you reflect on of sort of the, the origin story of uh, Pathify. 
Yeah, I mean, that was that was really it. We saw any other consumer app, whether it be a web app or a mobile app that we were on, bringing information to us and curating it. Whereas a portal and what we were using at university was requiring us to log in and find the information or search for the information ourselves, not with a search bar, like literally on page. And then you get ported out to another place, hence the name portal. So we're flipping that entirely on its head and largely looking at what's happening in consumer applications, what's happening in yes and Instagram, but even like what, how does Spotify present information? If you think about the universe of music, it's probably a little bigger than what we're ever, the universe of information we're trying to bring together. And they do an exceptional job at bringing forth the information that is most relevant to you or best for you to discover um, as well. So when I say it's sort of the what and the how, at the highest level where we're sort of flipping that paradigm on its head and going from we're not porting users, we're bringing information in for the user. And we do that through a middleware platform that we've built behind the system that we call Flow. Um, and then once the information is in there, the really difficult job, and not to say that bringing the information in via integration isn't difficult either, it certainly is. Once you have that information in there, how do we curate it? How do we through notifications and through the dashboard present the information that's most relevant to the student or the user at that time? Um, and then if they can't find what they're looking for, how do they find it really easy through a compelling search uh, function as well? And then I think the other piece is the breadth of what we're bringing in. So while a, a user may have logged into a portal and been ported out to other systems, it was really just systems and some resources that may be presented on in your portal. We're doing everything from bringing in information and activity across all your systems. We're looking at what tasks or to-dos you've got, what announcements, the events that might be relevant to you, um, you know, the particular notifications that, that relate to all of that. And we're also bringing in people into one space as well so that you're connected in groups or within cohorts or connected to departments and services that are almost also most relevant uh, to you and i think that's been a pretty big missing piece from portals previously and a lot of what has tried to uh, be done as relates to community and connecting people has been almost an off to side additional system separate from any of the core systems and that has made it really difficult to like build engagement and connection between students because it hasn't been a part of any sort of core experience. So we bring all of that into a front end to allow the user to feel connected to not only the information and different elements of their experience, but also the people in terms of support services, staff and, and peers within one place as well. So that's a big part of the what for us. Mm -hmm. Well, and so like, you know, the topic at Hien, kind of looking back uh, at 2022, which I think was a big year of kind of, I mean, the world really kind of, while COVID is still with us, the worst of the pandemic sort of like getting behind us in the rearview mirror and kind of, you know, picking up the pieces, looking at where we're at and, you know, how are we going to kind of move forward with all that kind of has happened. And, you know, as of the recording of this, we're nearing three years since kind of the the onset of, you know, everyone having to go to kind of emergency remote learning and all these other shifts and things that were happening in society. So, you know, I think it was a really interesting year. And, you know, with 
a lot of institutions in higher ed, you know, implementing new ed tech tools and all these sort of things. I think it was just an interesting moment for like everything that you were just mentioning, kind of the what of, you know, Pathify and everything of, uh, you know, trying to bring everything together and everyone because so much of what people were going through was kind of an all hands on deck kind of situation. You want to make sure you're kind of keeping everybody together and all those sort of things. So all that to be said, within the past year in particular, what were some of the major trends that you were following that you feel like, you know, that story that, you know, we're kind of emerging through the worst of the pandemic and kind of, you know, getting back to some sense of normalcy and everything. What were some of the major trends of 2022 that you were following? Yeah, I think, so I've kind of got two, one more on the educational side and then one very much on the like macroeconomic tech uh, side of things that I, mm-hmm. I need to be keeping an eye on all the time. Um, you know, certainly, and I think a lot of tech companies saw this, but probably us as much as anyone, um, COVID highlights the benefit of having an integrated hub of information that connects the user and particularly the student to the information they need, but also people at the institution and has a digital campus element of it. Um, so as we move, you know, higher ed was obviously already trending massively towards online education. There was the whole MOOC situation in the 2012s to 2014s. Um, so because we're moving to more of a hybridized world due to COVID, it just amplifies the need for a platform like us. We saw that throughout COVID. That became apparent pretty quickly. And I think that's that catalyzation is just crystallizing more in and did so throughout last year and I expect it to uh, throughout next year as well. I think in 2022, as relates to the education space, because I don't know that the higher ed space felt economically as much and and everywhere did, but tech companies in particular in 2022 really felt what was going on macroeconomically in terms of like valuation. And I'll I'll get to that. But because I I don't think that was felt as much in higher ed, I started to feel with some of the conversations we were having, and I think we started to really feel this at Educause, like it was a feeling of, oh, wow, compared to the last two years, Educause and this conference is actually back where we're kind of like ed tech is alive again in higher ed. This is cool. Um, I felt that I was having conversations that were much more around, hey, we've gotten through the worst of COVID. We have some certainty here and we're now planning for the future again and how we can mm-hmm. grow and prosper as an institution and and what we've had to do, we've, we've bedded all that down. All of the different things are in place around how we'll handle online education, how we'll handle hybrid delivery at our campus. And so it's, it's back to the drawing board for how we can move forward in terms of our experience and, and our offering for students. Um, so I, I noticed that in particular um, at Educause, but we're starting to feel it throughout the year in 2022, I think. Yeah, well, I think that is, I definitely agree. And, and I guess they kind of like tee you up for like the that second point of sort of those like macroeconomic, like tech, uh, sort of variables of the last year is that like, you know, the onset of the pandemic caused obviously this huge boom in ed tech. And like with the clarity of hindsight, it was kind of like, 
a scramble, like a frantic scramble of just being very short term of like, well, we need things right here and now to be able to implement, you know, emergency remote learning and all these different things. And depending on how different organizations were like responding to that, they may have like, you know, I don't know, just like, you know, hired a lot of people or made certain investments or bets or whatever that like, you know, they may be sort of reevaluating now. So I think it, it, is that interesting moment where obviously these are venerable institutions that have been around for hundreds of years, perhaps. So like, yeah, they're now getting that moment to kind of rest, breathe and kind of pick their heads up and look towards the horizon. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they're still obviously like, there's so much more aware of like, wow, yeah, we do need, you know, X, Y, or Z tools to like sort of, uh, Kind of maintain our sustainability and our relevance and efficiencies moving into the for uh, moving into the future, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's like it's such a unique thing to kind of like take that as like as a point of optimism because it's like it's not that doesn't mean like oh yeah like everything's just going to keep on being kind of smooth sailing. It's like you know these are still you know institutions that maybe you know uh, struggling with you know staffing and limited resources and all those other things because they're, so they're going to be scrutinizing and wanting to make sure that they're you know, spending their dollars very wisely and all that. So yeah, it, it is a very, very interesting point. Yeah. And that shouldn't be glossed over. There's certainly been a lot of attrition in the space, uh, staff wise in over the last year. And I, I think more what I'm saying is for those who are still at it and taking a long-term view at their institution, there is now space compared to 2020 and 2021 to start considering the future. Mm-hmm. Um, even if considering the future means doing that with less resources, particularly mm-hmm. on the staffing side. How can we have like fewer people work smarter? You know, the idea of like, if we can stay lean, you know, and it is like, you know, there's enrollment cliffs and all these sort of like, you know, existential crises for higher ed. It's like, you know, you could potentially be in a position where you're able to navigate that future with like, yeah, just you know, better tools and just sort of a smarter sort of infrastructure and kind of ecosystem of, uh, you know, your digital investments and everything. So um, I think it's going to be fewer, better tools as well. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that necessarily reduces our value by an order of magnitude in any way. I think it's going to be the nice to have. I mean, there's so many tools used in institutions these days. Like we will start conversations with CIOs and bring up, hey, we saw you, you were using XYZ over here. And sometimes they're just not aware of things that are getting turned on and plugged in. Maybe it's because it's a freemium model or maybe it's because um, certain staff members haven't followed the right process or brought people in. Um, but that happens all the time. I think those kinds of situations where it's like, an audit should be happening around software spend. And so you'll likely see fewer, more valuable, higher quality uh, tools that really do impact the experience and impact the drivers of, of the institution, um, mm-hmm. which I think is a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Well, I guess that also kind of segues to your other point of just sort of the, the macro uh, mm-hmm. economic uh, sort of situation that we're in. So yeah, I mean, I, I feel like every day or every week, there's just like tech layoffs or this or that, the other thing. So like, that is like an environment that, you know, uh, any ed tech organization is, is navigating as well. So like, what, what's your sort of uh, insight there of sort of, I mean, you lived through it, you know, just going through this past year. So what are your reflections on kind of the macroeconomic uh, situation? I, mean, I think that was probably most front of mind for me in, in this position. I think that there's a bit of a Goldilocks situation going on where in 2021, 
because of the, the injection of money into the economy through relief programs, um, it made money so inexpensive and the multiples that startups were able to raise dollars at were, were pretty incredible, but it just made, it made sense to, to raise money at these valuations and you took a growth at all cost strategy and really what happened earlier this year. And it was kind of, it, it was the, the Russian invasion in Ukraine that kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back. It felt, it sort of felt like everything started cascading more quickly from there. It was already happening earlier in the year. But it was almost like the investor or the capital markets said to company to tech companies who were burning cash that no, you, you're burning too hot and money was too cheap. So yeah, the porridge is too hot. And I, I think we've gone in the direction of it's now a little bit too cold and that's it's sort of overbalanced. And I do feel like with a bit more certainty for those that have survived throughout this year and managed to either cut back or cut back less so while bringing in some more funding, they'll have more of a certain outlook and we'll start to find the median a little bit more next year because you're going to have healthier companies financially that have survived. They're in a place where they're either not burning as hot or they've reached um, cash flow break even and they're not therefore not reliant on the market. So the market will have to pay better multiples in order for a founder or a board to want to take on external money. What it also meant this year, or sorry, last year throughout 2022 was that because valuations shrunk so much, taking on debt dollars um, and looking at like the venture debt side and those, those kinds of vehicles, which many of which were spun up last year as kind of a, a mezzanine offering at traditional VCs, that became a lot more attractive where, you know, okay, we don't have to raise at a, a really low valuation. We're not going to be dilutive to our, our shareholder base. And we feel pretty confident. Um, you want to be very confident that if you take on X amount of cash, it can be paid off in the next three to four years. Um, so a lot of founders um, that I know and just through, through reading, obviously, um, started to take on a bit more of that approach, either taking on debt, uh, as a whole or taking on some debt and taking on a little bit of um, a little bit of equity dollars from often just existing shareholders and, and doing it at a valuation that, that made sense for everyone. Yeah. And I guess just because my mind always thinks in like metaphors, it's just like, you know, the pendulum maybe was like up swung, like, you know, in terms of just like, you know, running hard and money was just so easy to come by. And then it just is like swinging almost like so far in the other directions. And then it's just going to like come back and be like, okay, we're, we got to get back to that kind of healthy middle. Cause we're in this like ed tech winter of some people like, you know, doing their like, you know, opinion yeah. pieces or whatever. So it's like, like, yeah, I don't know. Like how long maybe is this like winter going to last of, you know, not being how it was. Finding the middle will be more gradual. You can just look at, um, I mean, I, I saw a question in, in prep around, uh, like resources. One of the resources I use on this side is the SaaS capital index. Mm -hmm. And you can look at the SaaS capital index around like valuations based off of ARR multiples. And it kind of goes like this for the better part of a decade. And then 2020 and COVID hits and it just flies from like, I think what it was at the time, it went from about an average of 4X on your ARR multiple over eight years to about six with more investment coming into the software as a service 
space and people understanding the fundamentals of those businesses and getting more comfortable with it. And then I think the average went to around 15 or 16 times within, I think it was about eight months to 12 months. Mm -hmm. And now it's back to like 6.3 X where it was like a year or two prior to the, the pandemic. Um, so it really is this kind of huge spike and then cratering situation, which I think is going to kind of find itself back to that middle ground of, and, and that makes sense to me, a, a company that's a good company, but isn't growing that fast. Maybe it's in that five to six X revenue range in terms of valuation and a company that's really strong and growing really quickly should probably be in the high single digits up towards the, that sort of 10 mark. Um, if it's doing really well, once you start to get beyond that, it starts to become really difficult to justify. And there was certainly reason for major corrections in some of the companies out there. I mean, Tesla was being priced like it's a tech company when it has physical inputs and supply chains, right? A, a lot of bizarre stuff going on there, but for the most part, the fundamentals of software as a service businesses that are being priced literally haven't changed. Like, in largely some of the, a lot of companies valuations stayed stagnant or decreased by many percent or materially when they were growing revenue by 50 to hundred percent over the last year. And the fundamentals haven't changed in the sense of you have a software as a service company, you build a specific platform for each new unit of that platform that you sell, the marginal cost to do so is very small relative to adding that new customer. And that's the sort of the silver bullet, if you will, of, of a software as a service company. And that's why you invest so much up front. So that's what has my eyebrow raised. I'm a little bit like, these are all still software as a service companies. Yes, they were burning too hot. They've brought down the burn now or either cash flow break even. So I expect to see some investment back in them now that investors are comfortable that these companies have reduced their burn and are in a healthier financial position. And this may be a, a pretty quick answer because, like, I think we're you know kind of reflecting on kind of the objective truths of, and pretty um, you know again sort of the history brain is like yeah well this kind of led to that and all that you know sort of things like but I'm curious if like there's anything about what we've kind of talked about already or anything else about the past year kind of you know higher ed and or tech related that like surprised you because I think I didn't even like click into the fact of like the situation in Ukraine definitely felt like. Yeah, like that was just like, oh, okay, fine. Like that really was just sort of a like waterfall moment and everything that like didn't come out of nowhere. Like if you were kind of reading the tea leaves and so we'd be like, oh, you know, it's 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 on its way. It's coming. And it's like, okay, there it is. Um, but was there anything that like surprised you um about this past year? I mean, the the level of staff attrition probably did. Um, but I think it's it's largely understandable. I don't know, the, the level of really just the level of panic around businesses that largely haven't changed hmm. the extent of it. I think that surprised me. I mean, you have great, like incredible businesses like a Shopify that yes, were valued at absurd multiples, like 40, 50 X on revenue, but they're priced out like 10% of what they were valued at in 2021. So there's just some things like that, like the, the overcorrection really has surprised me, I, I would say. Right. Like the extent of it, like the like the, the fact that it happened, it's like, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, sometimes it's like, okay, all right. That's, that's well, a little... The other thing that's difficult to, and this is where you know, tech is a 
it's a part of the economy, not the whole, where you've got inflation you know, starting to get under control, but you've got prices still moving up. But then at the same time, tech companies just getting absolutely walloped in market. And so there's, there was this real tension of for consumers and for everyday workers, you've got to, you know, you're ratcheting up interest rates and that's going to finally catch up and, and take care of the, the supply demand situation on the consumer side as much as anything. But that was still going up and increasing and you had like in real time, um, the SaaS tech side of things just getting smashed. So that probably surprised me a, a little bit as well and, and why I say I was surprised at the extent of it. Yeah, and uh, just looking at your LinkedIn, because I was curious to look through like your whole background as, as it's sort of captured there. If anyone hasn't realized, like you have like an economics and finance background, I feel like just like how easy you're talking about all these things. And like, I'm following it, but I'm just like, it's very impressive. And uh, it's helpful to get kind of that perspective, because I think you can sometimes have people who are like, and maybe they're the people that are making these like overly inflated valuations where like, they're you know, you're getting kind of caught up in sort of the the buzz of it all or something like that, like that idea of talking about like, well, Tesla is a technology company. And it's like, I mean, kind of like it's a car company that happens to have like technology in it. But like, you know, so like things like that, where you can just like really get down to kind of the uh, objective kind of nuts and bolts and kind of cause and effect and uh, all that of what can be a space that can kind of just get very, I don't know. Yeah, just kind of like uh, buzzy and sort of like, you know, yeah. caught up in kind of those sort of things. Yeah. Oh, FOMO is a real thing in <laughs> how it influences the stock market. There's no doubt in my mind. And there's certain people, you should always keep an eye out for certain people, I think, in your life where it's like, if that person starts mentioning buying a particular stock or a particular security, that's probably the time to start selling that particular security sort of thing. Like, like kind of like, how much people were talking about like getting into crypto when Bitcoin's at $60,000. And yes, I'm talking about this with hindsight, but there's some things where it's like, okay, this, this doesn't quite feel right. And you can generally feel it based on like a, a few different markers, but it can be difficult to stop because the swell and the FOMO behind it is just so strong. You just can't tell when it's going to break. And you can mm -hmm. get yourself in some pretty bad positions if you if you take the wrong one. Yeah, um, and I was trying to think because I think it was WeWork also was trying to like during their like failed IPO, especially be like we're a tech company. It's like you're a real estate company. Come on, that, that, that was like one of the like worst examples of it if, if I recall. But it's a really um, good example. Yeah. <laughs> Anything on this podcast, just disclaiming, is obviously not any sort of financial advice. Yes. Not yes, a financial yes. organization. <laughs> yes. Oh, I feel like, yeah, that's like, I, which I appreciate, I guess, but it is sort of like a punchline. Everyone's just like, just, let's just make it abundantly clear. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, kind of tying this back in, because like, what's interesting is as sort of, uh, you know, persistent as like higher ed institutions are like, it, you continue to see institutions closing, which I think just really captures the sense of like, you know, especially like private institutions, like they are living and dying, being tuition driven by like the number of students they get. So it's just very much like, does this sort of institution kind of fit in with what, you know, students are looking for and those sort of things. So I think, you know, thinking now about the the past, thinking about this past year and these trends that we were talking about and why they're noteworthy kind of moving ahead, because it's obviously like, yeah, like the tech industry and everything has been sort of, you know, laying off and course correcting to get into a sustainable place to be able to continue to do the work that they do. And certainly in ed tech, you know, work with institutions and everything. 
I'm, I'm I guess I'm trying to kind of follow a through line of all of this this conversation that we're having. You know, you know, why do you think these trends are noteworthy when thinking about the year ahead? You know, about yeah, like finding kind of. Uh, I guess kind of sustainability in this like new normal, I guess is sort of where my brain is going because that, I mean, that kind of like applies to both like colleges and, you know, these tech companies and everything. The merger side of things for me was number three on the list. I've, but that's been, again, that's been happening. I sort of kept it out initially because it was a conversation about the past year. If you were to ask over the last three years, what, what has been one of the major trends you've been following? Certainly mergers of institutions. Mm-hmm. I think it needs to, it's likely going to need to happen more for survival. Um, I've followed it, but followed it from the outside. And I can't say I know enough about the internal operations of smaller institutions that may or may not need to merge um, to feel confident about any opinions about it or feel like an expert. But it just does feel like if you're a small liberal arts college with not the biggest brand, like outside of a city, like a that feels really difficult mm-hmm. going forward. Like I, I don't know, I'm struggling to see how they prosper unless they do, they just make some significant changes, get, like build a brand around online or hybrid education or uh, are merging to, to bring down operational costs. Like it's, it's, it's a tough spot, I think, that they will be in over the, over the coming years. And that's obviously why a number of schools have merged in the past few years. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's definitely a tough one. I think for for next year, given what's happened in 2022, what I'm largely most excited by and what I think it brings, and again, we'll see, you know, maybe we're catching up at the beginning of 2024 and I'm, I'm totally wrong. Because of the the extent of the overcorrection, it's gotten people to bed down so much and put together very pragmatic, um, realistic plans, I think, for next year that have a complete change in strategy from here's a whole bunch of money, it's growth at all costs is the strategy. Don't worry about efficiency metrics and... The, the financial health of the business as much as growing. And now it's like, that's as important, if not more important than your growth number. Um, assuming you're keeping the growth number at a, a certain place. And that kind of plan, that kind of smaller, more better down pragmatic plan brings more certainty with it. There's less volatility and, and ability to you know aim really high and miss high or not, you know, not miss as high and you're in a whole lot of trouble. So it just brings more certainty with it. And I think given where we were in 2020 and 2021, and given what's happened with tech companies in 2022, a semblance of certainty is going to be so welcome that people are going to get quite comfortable with that because having a level of certainty, it helps you, like we were saying earlier, around like starting to turn you towards what can we do in the future and how can we prosper? It allows you to actually plan and execute on plans versus, hey, the world's changing every week right now and we've got to figure out how we adapt to that. And that's the focus. And that's, you're kind of paralyzed in that sort of environment. Um, I think next year is going to have a lot more certainty about it. And that's certainly something I'm uh, I'm welcoming of. Yeah, well. Uh, I'm sure, yeah, because like, like everybody being very welcoming of that, 
yeah, even just a relative lessening of the uh, volatility and sort of unpredictable and ambiguous nature of uh, life and everything. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's definitely exciting because I've, I've always had a lot of respect for, um, you know, the ed tech companies out there, which, yeah, like you said, will likely become, you know, a bit more common where like have stayed super lean, just grow through, you know, revenue and, you know, they're not just like kind of... Uh, courting yeah like these super high valuations and getting all this money and just growth and all like those sort of things because like me as like a non-finance startup you know kind of person as kind of a layman i'm just like because even for like just big company where it's just like oh yeah like amazon and netflix where it's just like i don't get how this works like they're just like they're still sort of just growing at all costs and spending all this money and all these sort of so they're just like yeah refreshing sort of dose of uh I guess, I, my brain wants to say sort of like sobriety, you know, like everybody was sort of just like high on, you know, easy cool. money and whatever else. So it's just like, cool. Yeah. Cause I, I think like, like you said, like it, you know, we certainly have had really amazing things come out of that sort of climate in the world and certainly, you know, within a tech as well, whatever, but like that sort of like environment, I think likely being conducive to kind of like higher quality products that can like, you know, I don't know, maybe just like, just like work better with higher ed, I guess, because like, I don't know. And I'm just like thinking out loud with this, but it just, I guess, because like that is going to be the environment that we're entering in. It's almost just like, I don't know what's coming, but I'm excited to see what that is. Like, you know, so like I'm open to that, what that sort of uh, sort of foundation, like what, what different companies and things will be able to build upon that. Because yeah, I mean, especially just, over the past few years, it was just so much of kind of short-term addressing the problems that were coming up. Um, oh. So, and, and I feel like that's even just being so immersed and kind of like listening to a lot of other podcasts and all that. It's just like, yeah, like I, and I've, I've even heard other people mention this where it's just like, it doesn't feel like there's been kind of like a big, great new thing that's kind of like shaking things up. Is everybody just trying to like survive and kind of catch up to just be like, this is kind of like what we all need to do now, especially yeah. with, you know, online education and, um, a lot of the different tools that have uh, kind of staked their claim in the space. But yeah, so very interesting time. For I, sure. I agree with you. I think it's a bit more of a back to basics model and the, the platforms and the systems and the people at companies and at institutions that are good for them, medium and long-term are what will survive. And those that were more, fly by night at potentially attacking a specific issue in the moment or just were nice to haves all along um, and were able to get funding because money is cheap, th those companies are just being weeded out. It's, it's kind of, we're just going through a classic um, weeding out phase and you'll be left with a smaller, higher quality crop of, of companies and probably likely institutions as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's that's much of where we're headed over the next couple of years. And I think that's on the whole, it's, it's not good for a lot of people in the short term. Um, but I think it's good on the whole in the medium and long term. Yeah. Agreed. So as we wrap up, we always like to give an opportunity. Um, so I know you mentioned the, the one about like SAS capital, uh, before we'll link out to you, but any other resources that you want to share, you know, books, articles, podcasts, or anything else that comes to mind um, that we can include in the show notes? On on the tech side, SaaS Capital I go to all the time. It's fantastic. I think it's like one of the 
preeminent places you can go and look at like different benchmarks for the health of your business as you grow. Um, any founder should be out there looking at something like that. It's really solid. Um, I got this from one of our developers and I now read it religiously every day is the tech meme newsletter. And I was following TechCrunch, didn't find it that useful, was searching for something. I reached out to the devs uh, and I'll shout him out. Jared Cugley, one of our developers was like, I used to work at TechMeme and with TechMeme and you should be taking a look at this. I get the newsletter every morning and, and that's what I catch up on from the tech side and, and really, really like it. So I'd recommend that one. On the higher ed side, I just read inside higher ed religiously and then dabble in other places like EdSurge here and there. But inside higher ed, I think is a pretty common one. It goes outside ed tech, so it provides me more of a view for what's happening in the space and is a little less academia than the Chronicle. So I find it a little bit more pertinent to ed tech and what I'm, the, the lens I think um, I should be looking through for the business. Um, and then when it comes to like just general news, and, and this is as much from to help from a macroeconomic perspective as well, and just like understanding what's happening in the world, I tend to find myself gravitating to The Economist and reading articles there. Mm. So that's, they're probably like what I do on a daily basis that I think helps me get a feel for what's going on in the world and the higher ed world in particular and, and ed tech world and, and where we should head. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of funny because I'm starting to feel this way as well, because like you know, whole other point of kind of the past year, like social media just kind of like, I think, I don't know, hitting hitting a weird point in its lifetime where like I've started to pull back a lot um, of like, you know, I think I'll always have a place in my heart for Twitter as much as it's kind of a dumpster fire right now. But, um, you know, Facebook, it, you know, it's kind of been waning for a lot of people. And um, I mean, I'm super into TikTok, but it's kind of getting under like a lot of scrutiny, like how like persistent and like the humble email newsletter, like getting, you know, yeah, like inside higher ed and all these different things. Cause it's like, yeah, there's so much happening and I'm going to miss a lot of it. If I'm trying to like scroll through Twitter for like five hours and there's just all this other stuff that's going to like annoy me or something. It's just like, please like serve up to me like these, like, you know, newsletters of exactly the things I want to see, or, you know? Um, so I've been kind of leaning more that way in other ways to sort of like curate, uh, what's going on rather than just like completely relying on social media that I think will always have its place. But, you know, I think that the time of it being kind of the end all be all of the way that everyone, you know, consumes their news or, you know, uh, those sort of things is, uh, I mean, I, I use social media as much now for what are they doing in terms of design and UX? That's really cool. And, and looking at it from that perspective. And when it comes to news, Twitter, I find, I'm notified too much. So I will get on there and like look around and it's so enjoyable to see like, um, or so interesting, I should say, to just kind of see what's going on right now. And it, right, Twitter right. always has been like that as well. But like Instagram right now, I'll follow certain news outlets on there because I they don't post as much and they'll usually post something that they're trying to highlight. And I will often use that to be like, okay, maybe that's something worth going and reading. I don't know. It's it's weird how social media I feel is layered in now and plays a different role for like everyone. It's almost mm -hmm. like plays a unique role for everyone. I think at this point, like which which platforms you're on and how you use each one. Yeah, yeah. and admittedly, I guess like because a part of like with Twitter was that like it felt like it was like changing every day. So I feel like 
continue the metaphor, perhaps the dumpster fire is starting to just like, you know, smolder or simmer a little bit. So it's like, okay, it's not changing every day. And then we just have to see how, you know, uh, I think a lot of people, you know, threw in the towel on it. But yeah, like I, I enjoy, yeah, observing kind of, yeah, just that space because, you know, there's just a, a unpredictability to it, I guess I'll say. There's a trend um, to watch in 2023. There's not going to be much certainty there. So yeah, yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, we will we will end as we always do, though. Um, if uh, you want to share a final thought or call to action that you have for this episode with all the things that we covered, we talked about a lot, but um, just kind of what what is on your mind as we uh, wrap up the episode here? I think it is going back to having more certainty next year. I think this year has been really tough on a lot of people for me it's been like the first time we've even had to consider like doing layoffs and moving on from people and it's it's a really awful thing and so for me going forward just like having more certainty and being in a place where things are healthier not only to the space but i want to communicate to like our team and what's going on i I just feel like that's that's where we are and it kind of just it makes you feel a little bit more warm and fuzzy inside and that we're we're going in a good direction versus like the unpredictability of last year so that's kind of i think the message i want to take into 2023 that at least i believe at this point um there's there's more certainty which i think is a good thing for everyone absolutely yeah because i think just even i think in kind of waves like realizing how much sort of like stress and anxiety you kind of carry through like sort of these like ambiguous life moments and everything like that. So just like heading into this year where it's just like, okay, even just like modestly, like relative to how it was where it's just like, you know, yeah, I think that that definitely will be the case and we'll see kind of uh, what comes of that uh, for sure. But uh, thank you Chase for hanging out and sharing all that you did and uh, all of your perspectives and we'll have ways to uh, uh, connect with you and Pathify and all the stuff that we mentioned uh, in the show notes as usual. But Really great conversation and glad we got some time to uh, kind of reflect and kind of think about uh, the year ahead. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek podcast.